0: From Harney's Cayman, I'm Nick Hoffman, and you're listening to The Cayman Lawyer. On this episode, my partner, Paul Smith, and senior associate, James Eggleton from our litigation and insolvency team, will be discussing private funding and the legal services bill in the Cayman Islands. Hello, and welcome to the Harney's Cayman Lawyer podcast. My name's Paul Smith, and I'm a partner in Harney's litigation and insolvency team in Cayman. I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague, James Eggleton. Afternoon. So today we're talking about the new private funding of Legal Services Act 2020, which came into force on the 1st of May 2021. We're going to try and give listeners an overview of what the Act means for the future of litigation funding in Cayman, specifically conditional fee agreements, contingency fee agreements, and third-party funding agreements. Before we get into the Act itself, I think it's helpful to explain exactly what's meant by each of those three things.
1: Yes, I think that'd be helpful. So taking each in turn, a conditional fee agreement, sometimes abbreviated to a CFA, is an agreement by which the client agrees to pay to the attorney an additional percentage uplift on their standard fees, In the event that the client is successful in a litigation, these agreements are sometimes structured as no win, no fee, but they can also be structured so that the lawyer gets a lower base level of fees, even if the claim is unsuccessful.
0: Correct. And the percentage uplift in fees is sometimes referred to as the success fee. And the thing with CFAs, and the same is true for conditional fee agreements, is that what constitutes success or failure depends on the facts of the case, and more particularly on what you've negotiated at the outset between attorney and client and then turning to contingency fee agreements.
1: Yes, a a contingency fee agreement, which is sometimes referred to as a damages-based agreement, is similar to a conditional fee agreement. The key distinction is that whereas with a conditional fee agreement, the success fee is calculated as a percentage uplift on the attorney's fees, With a contingency fee agreement, the attorneys are entitled to a fixed percentage of the total amount or value of any property that is recovered in the proceedings themselves. And again, what constitutes success or failure is a matter for contractual negotiation.
0: And lastly, the third party funding agreement. Yes, the third party funding agreement
1: is an agreement by which a third party to the litigation, very often a professional funder, agrees to fund the litigation in exchange for some form of payment or a percentage of the proceeds of the litigation. So from a third party funder's perspective, the litigation is an investment. The funder has no direct interest in the substance of the proceedings. Their interest lies solely in obtaining return on that investment.
0: And as a consequence, litigation funders tend to be interested in those claims that can be identified as having good prospects of success from the outset and are therefore likely to generate the return that the funders need to make for their investors. Each case is usually assessed on its merits and ultimately the decision as to whether or not to invest is essentially one of risk and reward for the funder. Exactly. Okay, so those are the three types of litigation funding. Let's turn our attention to some of the advantages and disadvantages of entering into one of these agreements. And one of the key advantages, of course, is access to justice. With a litigation funding agreement, whether a conditional fee agreement or a contingency fee agreement or a third-party funding agreement, whatever you choose, what the client is essentially doing is protecting itself against the risk of losing the litigation in exchange for sharing some of the potential financial reward with their attorneys or the third-party funder or both. And for the attorneys and third-party funders, it's the other side of that coin. They're assuming risk in exchange for the potential reward.
1: Yes, it provides a means of access to the courts for claimants who may not have funds available to pursue costly but otherwise meritorious claims. And that advantage also extends to plaintiffs who may not wish, for their own reasons, to tie up their funds. So that would include large corporates, for example, who may have the money to find the meritorious claim but would prefer not to do so because they would rather commit their funds elsewhere to other priorities. For a plaintiff like that, access to litigation funding will allow them to pursue a claim without having to divert their resources from their core income generating
0: business. Okay, so let's look at some of the disadvantages of these kinds of agreements. Historically, the contingency fee agreement under which the attorney gets a share of the proceeds of the litigation has come in for the most criticism, at least outside the US, with third-party funding agreements also heavily criticised. But even the straightforward conditional fee agreement is not without its critics.
1: Yes, that's right. For contingency fee agreements, the criticism has usually been, at its core, the possibility for conflict arising between attorney and client, including the fear that attorneys would negotiate retainer terms favourable to themselves and thereby prioritise their interests over the interests of their client. In essence, the attorney is overcompensated, the client is undercompensated.
0: Although, of course, attorneys owe strict duties to act in their client's best interests, including a duty to advise the client as to the implications of entering into one of these agreements. And the risk of overcompensation is something that can be regulated, for example, by introducing a statutory cap on the lawyer's compensation in the relevant legislation, as the new Cayman Act does. What about third-party funding agreements?
1: The key question, Mark, over those is whether they have a tendency to corrupt public justice Undermine the integrity of the litigation process, or give risk to give rise to the risk of abuse. The issue is whether an agreement of that sort will offend the now fairly ancient laws of maintenance and
0: champerty. Yeah, let's just briefly explain those two concepts before we look at the Cayman legislation in more detail.
1: Of course. So maintenance is essentially where a third party interferes in litigation in which they have no interest. And Champity is an aggravated form of maintenance, whereby the third party is rewarded for its involvement with a share of the proceeds. These are now very, very old common law doctrines.
0: And that leads us to the Private Funding of Legal Services Act, which repeals these old common law torts and criminal offences of maintenance in Champity, which have long since been repealed in other jurisdictions such as England, in order to make way for the new statutory framework to support litigation funding. So what's the current position in the Cayman Islands and how does it change as a result of this Act?
1: What the Act does is introduce a statutory framework for the entry into conditional contingency and third-party funding agreements. And this is much needed because until now the law had been unsettled and largely uh, made by court decisions. A brief summary of the position prior to the Act coming into force recently is as follows. So, firstly, conditional fee agreements. No win, no fee, CFA was generally not lawful, save within the insolvency context. Secondly, contingency fee agreements. The position in the Cayman Islands has been, until now, that they are contrary to public policy and void and unenforceable. And thirdly, third party funding agreements. Now, there had been some development in this area in case law over recent years, and the key case being re a funder which is a decision dating to 2017, in which Mr Justice Seagull ruled that a third party funding agreement would not necessarily be unlawful by reason of maintenance and champerty. And he set out in that case a list of factors for the court to take into account when assessing a funding agreement, such as the degree of control over the litigation exercised by the funder and the reasonableness of the profit that the funder would potentially earn.
0: Yes, it was generally thought after that 2017 decision that third-party funding would become a common feature of the Cayman legal landscape, but that didn't really happen, largely because of the need to make an application to court for approval on a case-by-case basis for every funding agreement. Obviously, that could only be done once the litigation was formally commenced, by which time the plaintiff was already at risk as to costs. And it was a slow and clunky process that was done on notice to the defendant, giving them an opportunity to challenge the agreement.
1: Yes, that's right. The new Act makes funding agreements much more attractive by removing that requirement for court approval and by providing a general framework and regulations within which a funding agreement would automatically be lawful. Funding agreements are now permitted in civil proceedings, including in the Financial Services Division, which is the division that deals with the majority of Cayman's financial services disputes, and also arbitration proceedings. They're still not permitted in in criminal and in certain family law proceedings worth noting that these agreements are also committed in the early stages before proceedings are formally commenced.
0: So let's look at the specific framework under the Act for each type of funding agreement. And the first point to make is that the Act refers to conditional fee agreements and contingency fee agreements together simply as contingency fee agreements, which is a little confusing for people from other jurisdictions who'll be familiar with those terms as distinct type of agreement. So the Act brings together under one umbrella any agreement where the lawyer's remuneration changes depending on a successful outcome in the case. And within that umbrella definition, the Act provides that the lawyer's remuneration can be calculated either as a percentage uplift on the lawyer's fees or as a percentage of the damages or property recovered.
1: Yes. So for an agreement that is structured as what might be termed a traditional conditional fee agreement, the success fee is calculated as an uplift of the lawyer's normal fees, which cannot exceed, firstly, 100% of those fees. So in other words, in no circumstances can the attorney get more than double their normal rate. Or secondly, in respect of money claims, a prescribed percentage which has been set out in regulations pursuant to the Act. Those regulations have set a cap of 33.3% of the total amount awarded. There is also a cap of 33.3% in the case of a traditional contingent fee agreement, where the lawyer's fees are based on the damages or value of property recovered. The Act does make provision for the court to approve an agreement which sets the lawyer's remuneration higher than these caps, where that is justified by the nature and complexity of the proceedings and the expense or risk involved in bringing them. But in any event, it will still be subject to a limit of 40% of the damages of property recovered, even where such an application is made.
0: I have to say I'm sceptical about whether we'll see many of these applications, partly because the 40% limit is not significantly higher than the general 33.3% cap under the regulations, which may not be enough to justify the costs of a potentially contested application, and partly because the application has to be brought as a joint application by the attorney and client together. Which raises questions about conflict of interest. Again, in any case, now that the Acts come into force, the majority of the action in relation to funding will be driven by the litigation funders. So the real focus will be on third party funding agreements under the new regime. That's right.
1: And in relation to third-party funding agreements, these are now permitted, subject to certain conditions, including that the agreement has been writing and that it must comply with any requirements prescribed in draft regulations. No regulations. The Act gives the government, in consultation with the Chief Justice of the Grand Court and the local legal practitioner's body, a wide discretion to prescribe regulations in relation to third-party funding agreements and, indeed, in relation to conditional and contingency fee agreements.
0: Okay, thank you. Those are the key takeaway points about the new litigation funding regime in Cayman. As to how the market reacts, we'll have to wait and see. But it certainly feels like the legislation was long overdue and will provide certainty to the industry, as well as a greater suite of funding options for would-be litigants. And it puts Cayman a step ahead of some of the other offshore jurisdictions which have yet to provide a statutory framework for litigation funding. And that brings us to the end of this short podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please listen out for the other podcasts in our Cayman Lawyer series. And of course, please feel free to get in touch if you have any questions or want any more information about what we discussed today.